welcome to episode number four of Grumpy Old Ben's. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chicago, Illinois, where it's a beautiful spring day. And across this big virtual desk we like to call the interwebs is Ryan Bemrose. From an undisclosed location on the left coast of the United States, I'm Ryan Bemrose, although you said that. Which is always good. Keep, keep them guessing about where you are. On today's show, we're going to be talking about intellectual property, and there's a lot that goes along with that from you know what it is as far as copyrights, trademarks, patents, and all that, how long these protections last, how long we think they should last, how easy it is to pirate and get around these things, and what then if you're caught pirating, what the penalties are. So it's a big ball of mess. But I know it's something we actually disagree on some things on. So we figured it was going to be a good topic. So I think we should start by describing what we mean by intellectual property uh, in in general in corporate America. It's it's kind of a blanket term used to cover uh, copyrighted, patented and trademarked information, as well as basically anything else that doesn't have a physical good. But you can sue people over. Right. And things that could be made into physical goods, meaning. If you have, we could take a copy, a recording of this podcast and put it on a vinyl album and sell it so there we can make it into a physical good. But there's a difference between the physical thing that you would buy there and the content that is on the disc that you buy. Oh, yeah. The, the physical thing is the medium and that that is a commodity, but that's not the thing that's that's copyrighted. The, the copyrighted is the actual work of art for something to be considered an intellectual property. It has to be somewhat unique. You know, you can't just pull anything out of the air that is a common thing and say, I'm going to, I'm going to try to, well, people will try, but you can't take something that is common and make it into intellectual property. It's got to be something novel. It's got to be something unique, but it's got to be something that you created. You just brought that up and I wanted to bring up the definition of what it takes to be a copyrighted work. Well, anything is almost able to be copyrightable, which is where a lot of problems are starting to come in now with the internet making things so insanely available, meaning when you say anything can be copyrighted, what we're, our, our speech right now, what we're saying is copyrightable. Absolutely. In general, if it is information, it is unique. And uh, this is not the legal definition, but if it is unique, if it is a creative work, if it's not a reproduction of something else, it's copyrightable. And I mean, this, this actually like a, a cover song is copyrightable because you're creating a new thing, even though you're using up someone else's lyrics, a podcast is copyrightable. I mean, it, technically you have copyright. If you walk down the street and say, hello, how are you doing? Nice weather today. Uh, the it's copyrightable. The inflection that you use, the way that you said it, uh, all of those go into creating a copyrightable work. Now, if you just say hello. That's probably not enough. There is there is a minimum, but there's it's not a recorded standard. Right. Which, again, is why it has to be unique. And even tweets can be copyrightable. And you're right. If I just if I go onto Twitter right now and I put hello in, not going to be copyrightable. That's been some, the source of some very interesting case law, whether or not tweets are copyrightable because they're so short. They're short, but if they're unique enough, th they can be. So, I mean, instead of saying hello, if I say hello, banana pants, yellow, green, 76 hike one, two, four monkeys that could be copyrightable. Yeah. I don't think anybody else has ever said 
that sentence in the history of humanity. Which is interesting if you ever try to put a couple words together within quotes in your favorite search engine and see if they actually exist on the internet. They exist more than you would think. It's scary. Uh, Yeah. Well, that's the thing about uh, the global internet. We touched on that in, in previous episodes is nothing is new. And uh, that's that's actually a real problem if you're trying to be a creative person, because uh, whatever you think, you, if you think that you've come up with something brand new, somebody's probably already said it, which is really one of the roots of one of my problems of with copywriting things is that coming up with something original is a lot harder than you think. And usually the originality test for copyright is applied not has this never been said before or has this picture never been taken before it is can we find any examples of it and that's that's some pretty bad law if you say well i couldn't find anybody saying this before well did you search no because then i would have lost my case but even if you did search one of the stats that i found and this i'm sure has already been accelerated this was back in 2015 youtube claimed that there was 300 hours of video being uploaded to their service every minute of every day. Sounds about right. Yeah. So there's a lot of content you would have to search in order to know that this has never happened before. And you can copyright things that have existed before. You can take a dialogue from 10 different movies and copy that directly and mix match it into a whole new thing. And it would be a whole new work. So, yeah, it, it is a new work. And if copyright were restricted to me saying this sentence in this voice with this inflection at this time, then it's fairly sure that that work of art is going to be globally unique because there's not going to be anybody else who says what I say in my voice in the same obnoxious way that I do. But if you stick your copyright just to words, especially to a sentence of less than 140 characters, then somebody will have already said that. The really big problem with doing that is that copyright is literally granting a government backed monopoly on the use of that thing. And if you do that, what you're saying is you have the copyright on this thing. You now have the right to prevent anybody else from using it except in ways that you decide. Right. There's a very low bar on what you can get a copyright on. And it, this covers so many different things. And there's a, there was a list, which it was uh, literary works, obviously things that are written, musical works, which would be if you have a song, this would be in the sheet music and things like that. So a musical work in that form, sound recordings, which can also be a song or what we're doing here, an audiobook, anything that is recorded, dramatic works, anything that you can perform, whether on a stage or out in the street, if it's a dramatic work, it can be copyrighted. Pantomimes and choreographical work. So if you come up with the Bemrose Bop, a completely original dance, and I would like to see that. You're not going to. You could copyright those moves and you would have a copyright on the Bemrose Bop or whatever you want to call it. Uh, that actually, uh, if, if you're familiar with the game Fortnite, yes, there was a there was a pretty big issue the uh, few weeks ago because Fortnite has uh, they, they make their money on cosmetic items, which is new hats, clothing, things like that in the game. And uh, one of the things one of the cosmetic things that you can do is you can buy a dance uh, where 
you know, whenever you kill somebody, you know, we're we're way beyond just crouching over their corpse in the in the game to teabag them. Now we you can go out and pay money to have a special dance in that game. And uh so Epic was selling these dances and some of the there were entertainers out there who looked at these and said, you know, you're making a whole lot of money and those look a lot like my dance moves. And it it's not the likeness of the entertainer that is dancing. It's it's the character in the game that they've created in their world. But just the moves themselves, these people are are getting Epic to take, you know, they, they didn't actually have a lawsuit because Epic caved and took the dances out. But they're basically saying, hey, that the way that you're moving your body, that's that's mine and you can't use it. Right. And I saw some of the videos that one of them was the guy that played Turk on Scrubs. I think his name's Daniel Faison, the actor. And they showed his dance from the show next to the the character doing it. And it's like, yeah, that's that's the exact same dance. And I don't know if well, I'm, I'm sure it is. You know, he probably didn't own it because it was done as a character. But still, this somebody created this work. He He didn't own the likeness of it. And there is. There is a, a I mean, there's some legal question that could be litigated about whether or not you can take intellectual property in the way that you move your body. But in this case, Epic didn't want to litigate it. They just took it out of the game. Besides the pantomimes and choreographical works, you also have pictorial works, graphic works, sculptural. So these are things if you take a picture, if you create a piece of art as far as sculpture, you can have a copyright on that. Motion pictures, obviously movies, TVs, anything going on like that. And even architectural works can be copyrightable. So if this new building goes up in Chicago and everybody goes, hey, that's awesome. I want to build one here. Fuck you. You can't. Architectural works are, are an interesting exception that I kind of approve of uh, in that you can copyright the architecture so much that nobody else can take the plans and the look of your building and make another building like it without paying you something or getting your approval. But there is no... You, you, if you own the copyright on an architecture, you do not have the right to restrict people from looking at that, which if you think about it is a very important practical thing. People walk around cities all the time. Uh, but what it means is if you designed a building, you can't keep people from photographing it. The, they, they can do that unlimited, which is actually really interesting because there's been a question recently about whether or not uh, graffiti is copyrightable because there's this exception that says that you can photograph a building and you can't be sued over that if if there's a copyrighted work in the photograph. But that exception was created for architecture. And now some people are saying, well, uh, this graffiti is a work of art. And now you're photographing that and reproducing it in a photo and give me money, give me money. Well, right, because this is somebody else's work being technically shown. But this is why there's been problems for years taking pictures and trying to monetize them, especially at things like NASCAR races or Major League Baseball games or any major sporting event. Because if you're taking a picture of the players, what are you getting with it? A big logo across their chest. Oh, it's it's worse than that. Another form of of uh, art that happens, especially uh, NBA players get this a lot, is a tattoo. And if you're an artist and you own the copyright to a tattoo, the medium is now the NBA player that got it put on their arm. And that NBA player is being photographed all the time. Do you have the right to charge the network for every single time that your art is shown? And that was that was covered on a YouTube series that I watched today, which was actually pretty good, which is a primer on the uh, IP stuff that we're talking about. 
look look at who did research here yeah i know i did research because i know you hate research but you have a lot of opinions i have a lot of opinions and a lot of knowledge and i hate research and and that gets me by 75 percent of the time and i have to fake the other i mean i figured though to keep up with the intellect of a sir ryan bembros i had to do a little bit of research on this topic and that's what i did but that was one of the things that was mentioned especially if it came from and the, and the comedic example was you know maybe it was a calvin and Hobbes or something like that but the guy saying, well, I drew this, so I was already breaking a copyright because I'm drawing a character that is covered under copyright. So reproducing that, even if you're the one drawing it, you're kind of breaking a copyright law. And then you take it to the tattoo parlor and they take your drawing and put it on you. And now you're technically, like you said, a canvas that's walking around, but nobody's taking pictures of us with our shirts off. But NBA players, that probably happens a little bit more. And it really is an interesting question that if somebody has, I mean, let's just take a very iconic, you know, whether it's Mickey Mouse, you know, Darth Vader, both owned by Disney, kind of the same character when you think about it, big evil. And yes, I do remember that time that Mickey Mouse went and and murdered an entire planet just to impress a princess. Well, you know, you got to do these things. Mickey's a baller. But this is something that you look at and go, okay, so somebody's got that Mickey Mouse, Darth Vader tattoo, and they're constantly on TV. And Disney's going, well, that's that's all right. You can't you can't show our No, I mean, you see a lot of these things uh, where you've seen pictures that have like logos and stuff blurred out because they couldn't get the rights. You know what happens when that's a part of somebody's body? That's a whole new that's a whole new conundrum. It, it is. And so far, uh, the tattoo issue, at least, hasn't been litigated because uh, when when a small town tattoo artist comes out and says, hey, that's my copyright. And the NBA says, here. Here's $3 million, go away. And you don't get a litigation over it because the NBA cannot afford to have that litigated because they might have to blur out every NBA player. And can you imagine? Which is very hard to do when they're running down the court. It is. It, technically, it is very difficult to do. And, and at some point, you might get like a, the NBA implementing a rule like uh, no tattoos allowed on players. Can you can you imagine the outrage over that? Or, or they would just get very uncomfortable because they'd have to wear those like mesh sleeves to cover everything up, which some you know, yeah. people do. But uh, it would not be something that would be easy to do. But one of the other parts of copyright is how long it lasts. And it varies depending whether you're talking about, you know, we'll talk about the patent and, and trademarks and stuff like that. But as far as a copyrighted work, among those things we just talked about from literary work, sound recordings and that. It's 70 years past the death of the author, and that can be a long time. So that's what what you're describing is is the legal definition. Uh, But practically speaking, nothing has ever entered copyright in almost 100 years. That's that when you talk about uh, the length of copyright, don't give the thing I want to talk about is nothing has entered copyright since 1923, 27. Right, which is something I just ran into in the Random Thoughts podcast, R-A-D-U-M-B-Thoughts.com, which was dealing with uh, nothing has entered public domain. I'm sorry, not copyright. Well, with with the uh, with the Kate Smith thing, there was a couple different songs that I was like, you know what? This is from 1931, 1933. I want to include these in the podcast. They must be in the public domain. No, not so much. So it, it's a problem when you it, it's hard to do a lot of things online without infringing upon copyrights, whether you're making a meme. Whether you're talking to somebody and you want to post this, that if we're doing a podcast and there's a song playing in the background, I mean, maybe we're one of those people and you put that up, you could get 
taken down for all sorts of crazy things. But as far as the length goes, you're right. Nothing has been recently put into the public domain because the laws regarding this are still relatively new and everything was kind of grandfathered in. But the reason I say that the legal definition is irrelevant in this case is because I have every confidence that Disney will manage to buy enough Congress people to get the legal definition changed so that their works continue to not enter the public domain. But there's a blurring when it comes to this between copyright and trademark, because trademarks, which is something that companies use as their brand and Disney could, I guess, make the you can make the argument that Mickey Mouse is a trademark of Disney. And I granted this can only be used on the main character or two or whatever it is. But trademarks never go away as long as they're currently being used. So if you've got a trademark on a product, you know, that is, you know, Charmin bath tissue, as long as you continue to make Charmin and they check on this every five years, you can keep that trademark. If that company can keep going and you can keep selling and your business is still viable, that trademark will last for eternity. So there's a kind of a difference between a character with like a Mickey Mouse that is considered like a trademark and a book like this Harry Potter series that was huge a few years ago here. I've never read any of the books, never seen any of the movies. I'm one of those guys, never saw any Harry Potter. Uh, but that part of the world was obsessed with him for a bunch of years, but now he's kind of been put to rest. The Harry Potter saga is done. All the movies have been made, it would seem. All the books have been written. Now the clock is kind of on, which is, this is where the time kind of starts and at some point, this will fall into public domain. But it's going to be four generations before it does fall into public domain. And that's four opportunities for a reboot of each of the movies, which is just more money to come in for somebody. Absolutely. That's that's what all of this is about, is it's it's about money. It is about let's make sure if you're a big company, you want to maintain a back catalog of everything you've ever done before. So that when you decide, hey, we need a little bit of money and it's been a few years and enough people have forgotten. Uh, let's just bring this out with almost no work and make millions of dollars again. And if you're greedy, that is a great idea. So if you're in control of the copyright world, what's the length of time? I know some, things like patents, which are very similar to copyright, they have a very fixed period of time, which I think like the maximum is 20 years. Well, the, the maximum listed is 20 years, unless you imply some kind of loophole. To answer your question, five years in in the Internet age, this wasn't true when the Copyright uh, Act was first implemented back in the uh, 1802 or whatever. Back then, it, it, it wasn't really feasible to get even get your media to everybody that you want to in five years because things were slow. But in the Internet age, five you what do you remember from five years ago? Stale memes things that they feel dated. Anything you look at, if you go watch a YouTube video of a current event five years ago, it's going to be dated. It's going to feel like, oh man, that is so over. But do we treat things different from, I mean, let's just take music for an instance. You have one hit wonders who'll come out. I mean, there's somebody that released an album five years ago who then fell off the face of the earth and nobody ever heard from again. Is there a difference between that guy's work and the Rolling Stones who've been Recording for, well, forever. Well, other than if they're recording forever, it's probably because they did better work. But 
from but from to, the perspective of their work also they're still going out they're still touring they still got their songs and granted other people can cover their songs but they have to pay a licensing fee from the perspective of the individual work i mean no if if you record a song in 2019 then that song is a work that should go out of copyright eventually preferably before 2119 i, I would argue that if you cannot, when you release a song, for example, the first four weeks is when you're going to get all of your radio playtime. It's when you're going to get all your, uh, most of your sales, the most works when you, they, they make a big hype on release day because you're going to get most of what you get in the release day. And even if you say, okay, well, the release year, we're going to play this thing on the radio 24 seven for two years. That's fine. You can monetize the hell out of that. But five years later, either you've made your money or you haven't, but what have you done in all that remaining time? And I think this is the part where we're going to differ in, in opinion. Well, maybe when the performance rights are a little bit different as well than the copyright, but a performance is completely different. You're creating a new copyright every single time that you perform. So if you go out on con in a concert or on a concert tour, you're going to get a new fresh five-year copyright every single time you perform that. And you can restrict what people can do with that. But the original recording from five years ago, I believe should drop into the public domain after five years. What happens with something like the Beatles who have gone back, remastered their whole catalog and been re-released? Well, first of all, two of them are dead, so they don't really need the money anymore. Right. Well, they have families and we all understand that. I mean, you can assume they were all alive. You can assume they're all dead. And if you're if you're going by just that they're being dead, then you're giving credence to the law of it should be through the end of their life and then maybe no more time or some time. But are these new works? No, I didn't give credence to that. I, I was giving I was actually making the point it should not be beyond the end of their life, which it is currently. But how do you deal with something like, hey, we take the White Album, which was recorded in 1969 or somewhere around there, I believe. If they remaster it, they're creating a new work. Is it so? It, but the copyright of all that stuff of those original ones have fallen in. So you're saying you could just tweak a setting and, and bring the bass up a little and that's a whole new work. Then you're getting into a whole. And then they have the right to restrict the use for five years of the remastered version of that work. The original version of that work with the scratchy audio and, and the the poor base is public domain and anybody else can also remaster it. That's that I believe is how it should work. Yeah. And another question I have comes down to piracy because this is really oddly enough, the great equalizer when it comes to a lot of what we're talking about with piracy. Now piracy is responsible for getting media to more people in more, to, uh, more media to more people than any other distribution channel on earth. Which is interesting when you kind of look at that, which is a lot of piracy happened because people we know because we fall into this category too. people are lazy. And if the easiest way to get a copy of something is by piracy, that's how you're going to get it. Yeah. And you're also going to go the piracy route if you feel like you're being overcharged, you know, hence when Guns N' Roses comes out with a super duper special version of appetite for destruction. And it's only $179. Well, despite what the socialists would want us to do, we still live in a capitalist society. And for the most part, we're all used to the idea of competition. If you want to buy a coffee and you go down to the local Starbucks and they want to charge you $9 for it. And then 
if you say that's too much money, you can go to the coffee stand across the street and pay $6 for a better cup. That's competition. Intellectual property laws are literally subverting that. They are, it is the government granting a monopoly on the use of this item. And we are all expected to say, well, I can't have it on their terms. And so I guess I just can't have it. But that's not how it works with any other commodity anywhere in a capitalist society. So uh, what do we do? If there's no legal way to produce competition, that's what piracy is. Piracy is the natural capitalistic competition response to people having a monopoly on their works. And it's not legal and there are consequences, enforcement consequences, which all raises the effective cost of the piracy because remember the cost is not just monetary it's it's in your time it's in your risk of consequences so the cost of piracy goes up because it's not legal because it is we're we're told that it's not moral i'm not going into that one and because you might get caught but if a person who owns a copyright is pricing their monopolized good so high that even with the enforcement issues, the pirated version is more cost effective. People are going to pirate it. Right. And we're talking, I think the fines are like $150,000 per song when we're talking about music. Yeah. Yes. Multiplied by the risk that you actually get caught. Right. Which distributed amongst all the people pirating tends to be kind of low, but it can happen. It certainly seems to have taken a big downturn ever since the, you know, the Napster type thing. One one question that comes to mind as far as the length of copyright, and I, it seems to make sense to me that it may be too long, but I think there are... Say, I'm, I'm working you down. A little bit, but I'm wondering about things like Doctor Who. I'm wondering about things like the television show NCIS that have been going on well over five years. Yeah. And you can say, okay, well, those original episodes can fall into public domain and that's fine. But with that, do the rights to those characters fall into the public domain as well? And if so, will any television show or French movie franchise ever go beyond five years? Because once you hit that point, anybody can reproduce these characters in a way that your ability to market merchandise and sell them is greatly hurt. So how do you deal with well, that? Okay, first of all, um, I have no sympathy for marketing, the industry, the people in it, the the idea that they have to do what they want to do. It is uh, literal corruption and manipulation. The The entire industry is, it is a, a side effect of capitalism that I don't like. So trying to get, place sympathy on whether or not these people are able to market is is not going to convince me. Well, if they're going to be able to make money, but it also comes back to a point you made earlier with if the Beatles remaster their stuff, they should get a new copyright on that. How much change has to be done? Say you created the the Bemrose VPN app, which we know is famous on Nick the Rat Radio, and your five years is coming up. So you just decide, well, you know, the button that says connect. Well, that was blue. I'm going to change that to red. Whole new code. We get another five years. Well, on the new thing, on the old version, no. Right, the old version is is out. The software is an interesting thing as it is because uh, closed source software 
uh, it's not copyright that's protecting it. It's security through obscurity, and it's actually pretty effective. Well, yes, because people can't reproduce it without knowing how the sausage is made. And that's why there's there have been a lot of cases where uh, a buddy of mine owns a company that does coatings. And there's there's these chemists in the UK that created it, and he's their American uh, you know, counterpart. He's the one that distributes it here. And they have never filed a patent on their procedure because if you file a patent, you have to publish it. Part of the deal is, right, you show exactly how you're doing it. And they're like, screw that. We're much better off because nobody else has figured out how to do this yet. We're safer without a patent and it will go on longer until somebody, you know, if somebody figures out how to do it, that's great. Then they have no protection, but they feel like they were smart enough and came up with something in, in such a way to where not filing a patent has worked. And it's been, it's been well over a decade since this product came out and nobody's doing it yet. So I guess they were right. So on your example of a long running series, NCIS or whatever, suppose that Ben Franklin were still around and he wanted to write or actually not even still around. We don't have to bring the supernatural into this. Suppose that somebody was able to prove that they are the great, 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 great grandchild of Ben Franklin. Why do I say Ben Franklin? Mark Twain. And well, they're the same guy. They are practically. Uh, they're all they're all from way back in history. And really, they, it was all one person. So the great, great grandchild of Mark Twain decides that they want to create a book based on Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Should they get the right to take those works out of the public domain and prevent anybody else from using them? And if so, if I'm that person, all I have to do is write a pamphlet that happens to mention them. And is it right that suddenly I should now be able to prevent anybody else from using those characters? No, absolutely not. I mean, once anything falls into the public domain, I don't think it should ever Okay. Go out of the public domain. I think that's part of that. And that should be clear. Then I believe you just answered your question about NCIS or or Doctor Who. But that's not the you know, it's not necessarily the same thing because those have never dropped into the public domain yet. But if, if copyright were five years, they would have. That was the hypothetical. But it's still an existing work, which is what was what my question was to you. Yeah. Would any work go on longer than five years that requires keeping that right? So you create it. You create a character today. You have a series that goes five years. You're reaping all the rewards for everything going on for those five years. A day after you expire. Mark Twain created a character 150 years ago. The only difference here is of the length of time. And do you think that? Well, nobody was making movies at the time and radio didn't exist, but otherwise, or maybe radio existed. Okay. So do you think that the medium is important? Oh, it definitely is important. Do you, do you think it? That the fact that it's a movie and not a book. Okay. So will somebody make the argument that, oh, it's just a television show. So nobody should copyright shouldn't apply because it's not a hologram or because it's not a, a direct to brain experience or whatever technology we have in the future. I would just question whether it should last for at least the length of the series, meaning NCIS, it's in what, 16, 17, 18 years, something like that. Maybe we should wait till the series is over and treat that as one work. Well, that's a terrible legal de definition. Well, it may be terrible, but it's an idea. Um, most shows don't last 50 years. 
I mean, there are, there are soap operas that have been going on for 40 years. There are, there are actors on those soap operas now that were not alive when it started. But they kill the old characters off the minute they go into public domain, okay. right? <laughs> Which is, so, I guess, a way to do it. And, uh, you know, maybe re- keep retreading things and refreshing things. Yeah, but uh, I mean, you're, you're, you're describing, you're describing, uh, you're trying to set up loopholes. Which is what the world is, is a bunch of loopholes when it comes to anything legal. But I'm, no, I'm trying to make a honest assertion of how things would be hurt, you know, how entertainment would differ if the amount of time covered under that ability to keep those characters as your own was shortened that much. Uh, I would argue that if time were shortened that much, um, you would see more series uh, that were that would end after five years. But if it's a good series, they're going to continue making it because they're going to continue making money. Every time they make a new episode, they make another seven point four million dollars. You know, they'll are being counters will calculate it out and they'll say, you know, it's OK that people are watching our oldest episodes for free because we're making new ones that are making us a ton of money. And if they're not making money on it they'll stop making it. Uh, Another thing that you're not going to see, and I know you'll probably be very sad is you're going to see a lot fewer reboots and sequels. You're going to see a lot fewer people uh, rehashing old tired characters and tired stories that we've all seen before. And then won't you actually be seeing more of those? I mean, because here's, here's the concept. Well, not, not from the same people. Well, no, obviously not from the same people, but then five years after the first, you know, five years after something exists, somebody else could take that script, remake the whole thing and release it on their own without. They could. But 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 one of two things is going to happen. Either it's shit and they'll release it and it'll be one of the 300 hours of YouTube video that's uploaded every moment. And it'll get four views in its entire lifetime. And where's the harm? OK, it was crap. Somebody made it and and it didn't go anywhere and nobody saw it. Or it's better than the original. And don't you want that? I just understand one thing, which is that I, what we're arguing for is a very rarity. You know, and it's also arguing for the rights of people that are making a, a ton of money. But I, I do understand that somebody that writes, you know, a, a novel that becomes a series that goes on for 20 years. You know, I don't know if their rights should totally be gone within five years. I don't know if it should. I mean, I, I don't know that I want to be rehashing the same characters over and over again in the same setting and the same plot and the same tired formula for 20 years. What you get if if copyright is shorter and people don't have the ability to lock down a setting is you're going to get a lot more original IP. And I cannot see how that's a bad thing. Well, did you know that copyright cannot be assigned to anything that was either created by an employee of the federal government or by the federal government or a non-human, which they may be the same? (laughs) Uh, I I, I am aware of that, although uh, government agencies that want to invest in a copyright uh, now do sneaky things like uh, contract out to a private company. Here, here is all of the information I want you to put in this work. Can you bind it and then slap a copyright on it and then assign it to us? But if Bobo the Chimp is a really good painter, why shouldn't he be able to copyright his work? Um, because he's a chimp. 
but he's that's, very entertaining that's how and the, he's talented. That, why are uh, we, why are we anti-chimp? I, I, I'm not anti-chimp. I'm anti-copyright. I, I think I've established <laughs> that one. Uh, you, you're asking me, uh, should we lock up something that Bobo the chimp did? And I'm saying that we need to unlock things that humans are doing. And then I guess the question comes into with, with a lot of these, I think where the argument we're having with the length of copyright, I think a lot of this then comes into the trademark world. And we touched on that a little bit a second ago, but a trademark is a little different than a copyright. And the fact that it can be a word, a name, a symbol, uh, a device, anything that's used to identify that are products or goods. And it could be a sound. I mean, it could even, you know, the McDonald's, um, da, 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 that is a trademark. Oh, great. We just got our YouTube takedown. <laughs> I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm on pitch and on key enough for them to pull that out. If the technology's that good, send it to me so I can put that into my Adobe software and I can sound uh, like an actual singer when I sing. But one of the, this was again from a video I took this information from was from 2015. So this was, you know, four or five years ago, Taylor Swift had registered her name under 61 different services because trademarks are weird in the way that you can have the trademark for Apple computers, but you know, somebody can then have Apple toilet seats. They're not in the same. Well, maybe they are in the same realm there. I don't know. Depends what you think of Apple computers, <laughs> well, but in a, okay. something in a completely different realm, you can use that word, but trademarks. You, you, you want a more concrete example of that? How about uh, Apple recording studio? Right. Which, Which Apple did try to sue them, right? There was yeah. there some, one of one of them tried to sue the other and it was like the, the Beatles recording label tried to sue Apple computers when they started up the name and they got a ruling that said, no, they're not in music. So that there's nothing, you know, nothing to sue over. And then the suit came back when (laughs) iTunes came out. Yes. Which makes absolute, that makes sense now because they are in this. At at which point there was, there was a, a tremendous backroom monetary settlement and they're like, okay, well, here's, you know, 50 million reasons why I think you can go ahead and use our name. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, Apple finally opened up the, the vault of cash they had for something. And, and that makes, that makes perfect sense because trademarks are there to protect the customer, which is, I know something you believe in, even if you don't believe in copyright. Uh, well, I believe that we should, I, I believe, I believe that protecting the customer is a good thing. I might dispute whether or not laws exist to protect the customer, but go on. What's your favorite brand of coffee? Whichever one I'm drinking. Well, you know, say you really like, you know, Cafe Bustello. Yeah. Should somebody else, you know, you, when you go to the store and you see that name, you want to know you're getting the same product you've been buying for days, weeks, years, whatever it is. Certainly. If somebody else were allowed to, then I'm coming up with a whole new coffee. It sucks. And I'm going to put that Cafe Bustello label on it. People are going to get confused. They're going to buy that. And, oh, this is crap. I thought this was Cafe Bustello, but it's not. So that's where trademarks are differing a little bit. Certainly. From copyrights. But. Things like Mickey Mouse can be a trademark. So you, you, the, the lines start to blur there. Can, can or should is what you're asking. <laughs> well, we know, they, we know the lines are blurring. We know they can be used as a trademark. Uh, uh, what I know is that every time that you make a law, then somebody will take that and find the loopholes and twist it to ways that the lawmakers didn't intend because lawmakers in general are really stupid people that are easily swayed by money. And really a newsflash. I I never knew that. Yeah. (laughs) And so, uh, 
trademark law was originally created to protect somebody from fraud. And I, it would, I mean, fraud marketing, the same thing. Trademark law has been twisted to protect things like Mickey Mouse. There's, there's never been a, Mickey Mouse is not supposed to be a brand. It is, it is a character. I mean, I guess it's been turned into a brand because they, they, they treat it as one. So, well, there are yeah, tons of clothes. I mean, you go to if Disney, it's a, you can close, you can buy mugs, you can buy mouse pads, you can buy anything with Mickey on it. They got it. How does, okay, actually let me turn around and, and ask you a hypothetical for once. How does intellectual property having a trademark help with or affect how, how does it help the consumer that Disney has a trademark on Mickey mouse with regards to selling the merchandise, the mugs, how are consumers helped there? I think it's the same as in the cafe Bustello example, meaning that if you buy a shirt from Disney direct, the quality is probably going to be better. Probably. Then if you're buying a Chinese knockoff, that's going to, the Mickey Mouse logo is going to bleed in the wash the first time you do it. Okay. You you just made a tremendous assumption about quality. I don't believe there was anything in there about quality. Of course there wasn't, but it's a guarantee of said quality. I mean, there, I'm, there are people out there. I, I will guarantee you because I've bought the jerseys from China that are fake NHL jerseys because, you know, you buy an NHL jersey here and you want an official, well, not even the official, like the players wear. If you want the official replica jersey they're still like 200 bucks well they might cost 200 bucks you can buy them from china for like 29 bucks and it looks exactly the same and it holds up so i've bought good things that have been that have been knockoffs but i've also bought knockoffs that have been total crap you're you're arguing that just because a company has a trademark somehow they're not cheap and slimy and and selling inferior products for elevated prices well, no, but you know where you're getting it from, which which is where things start fading in. Because here's the thing with the trademarks. Is that the the goal is that you know what you're getting? Part of it. I mean, that is definitely part of it, because I can tell you when I bought these knockoff Chinese jerseys that I knew were knockoff Chinese jerseys, they go to every last detail, including to reproduce the tag that you would get if it was made by Nike or you know whichever company was making the jerseys at the time. They replicate those, hey, made by. So you're proving my point. My, my point was that it is very possible for somebody who doesn't own the trademark to create a superior product than the people who do own the trademark. And, and I would argue that if a company knows that they are the only people who can possibly make a product, they have no incentive to make a better product. So they're going to make the cheapest product that they possibly can and charge as much as they possibly can while still getting some sales at all. Well, really cheap and shoddy products can have trademarks too, but then at least you know what you're getting. So I mean, Starbucks coffee is a trademark. Do you, is Starbucks a great brand? I, I, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one, (laughs) but it's, it's consistent whether it's, whether you think it's good or whether you think it's bad, it's a consistency thing. And, and Starbucks is, is a fine brand. I, I don't personally care for their coffee compared to some others, but, uh, well, how long, how long do they get, you know, their logo, their trademark is that, um, the, what do you call the woman that's half fish? Uh, why can't I? Mermaid. <laughs> yes. Mermaid. Thank you. I can't think of mermaid. Their logo 
if that were to disappear in five years, if we go by the five-year copyright kind of thing and we apply that to trademarks. Oh, now, now you're mixing copyright and trademark. Okay. So how long should a trademark last then? Are you okay with that lasting indefinitely? Uh, yes, but I'm, I'm also of the opinion that trademarks need to be limited significantly more than they are. But that's, I, I need to go back to the question, though. You didn't, you didn't answer this. How is a consumer helped if Disney is the only people who can make a Mickey Mouse mug? Again, I would say it comes down to the quality of the product. I understand people that are okay. that are pirating them or bootlegging them can make good products. They can make better products than Disney and they can make less. But I do believe that I get a consistent quality of product buying something from Disney, just like you think you get a consistent product from Starbucks. And whether you think that's good or not, it's a consistency thing more than anything else. I'm not I'm not sure what you mean by consistency. Uh, you, you're not buying this product more than once. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, coffee, uh, you're buying more than okay, once because yes. it's, okay. it's a renewable so, thing. And, and T-shirts, maybe I'm buying more. I mean, I have more than one Mickey Mouse T-shirt. So are, are, are you asserting that somebody who, by virtue of the fact that they don't have a trademark, they have no quality control? No. Okay. Uh, so where, where is the quality or consistency argument coming from? Which is, again, you're, if somebody does have a trademark, you're expecting the same product every time you get it. And I know it's a different thing from being a, I am not even convinced that's true. I don't, I don't believe quality has anything to do. The, the people creating the products, the, the factory workers who are generating these mugs are not the same people as the lawyers who are filing for trademarks. Well, obviously not, but if you're to say to buy a mug one day and a week later, and then two weeks later, it should be the same. I'm just going to let you off the hook on this example. Uh, the, there is no causal connection between quality of product and having a trademark on a product. Well, no, because there are people that can produce some really good products and, and not have a trademark. That's true. A, a competitor comes along and decides that they want, to, if a, a non-Disney actor wants to create a Mickey Mouse mug, one of two things is going to happen. Either that mug is shit and it's not going to sell. or that mug is better and it, it is a better quality than the ones Disney creates. Now, in the first category, the trademark isn't really doing anything because with or without the trademark, you want to buy the one from Disney. In the second one, the trademark is actively harmful to the user because it is preventing or the, the end, the person, the end consumer, because it is preventing them from purchasing a superior object. And I fully understand that. It all just comes down to the question of how long somebody should have the right to something that they created to then be used in any way, shape, or form. And the copyrights cover, as we talked about, everything. You know, you, you can't take Mickey Mouse and make him into a dancing robot or whatever. You know, uh, you can't take Mickey Mouse and make him into a sex robot if we can go Mark and George for a minute. Although some people would buy that. We, we don't need to go Mark and George. You, uh, Taylor Swift is your sex robot. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, wh where do I sign up <laughs> for a Taylor Swift sex robot? Right. I mean, I would prefer just Taylor Swift, but, you know, that's that, that's not going to happen unless it is. And she can contact me at uh, grumpyoldbenz.com. But but going back to quality, if the quality is high enough, then can you tell the difference? And does it matter? It only matters if it comes down to, again, generating and encouraging people to keep creating. 
The only thing I would worry about in a world where copyright is too short is that we start losing the incentive for people to create. And I agree with you to a certain point that somebody that writes one hit song, and there are people that, you know, you could be a songwriter for 40 years and write songs that make absolutely nothing. And you can finally hit upon that one hit that's going to make a ton of money. You know, the question is, you know, how long do you get to keep your baby and how long should you be able to? There was an article, an interview I read with Chris Christofferson. Let, let me just put your fears to rest first. If copyright were no longer the incentive to create, people would continue creating. Remix culture proves that. YouTube proves that. Memes prove that. People today are creating in uh, open source proves that. People are creating in record numbers, orders of magnitude, more content than big copyright holding companies ever have created. And a lot of that is very high quality. Yeah, but here's the problem. It's, it's, your, it's your theory that the theory you like to quote that like 90% of everything is crap. Sturgeon's law. Sturgeon's law. And you upped that in the Internet age. I think you said like 99%. And I, 99. Yeah. I fully agree with that because what you just, the example you just used of the memes, what are these memes of? They're almost always of major motion pictures that cost millions of dollars. Maybe. All of these remixes, these songs that are making money are but off of major it, songs. It I mean, I true. love to hear the stuff that Rhino the Bearded plays on the No Agenda stream, which is the Creative Commons music. But the Creative Commons music has gotten good, but it's nowhere near what mainstream music is. And there's a reason for that. Well, the reason for that is because the mainstream industry has completely locked down all of the best artists and throws money at them, money that they get only because they have a, an undeserved monopoly on everything that they do. They are very, very good. But that's only because there are so few artists that are that good. They, they are very good at being the loan sharks that walk around from place to place and say, you better be paying us or something's going to happen to you. It sounds very mafioso-like, and I know that's the way the business actually works. I've worked with different artists. And-, and and they make money hand over fist with that business model, and therefore, it is in their best interest to keep the business model alive forever. But the Creative Commons music proves that good works will be created. And, and remember the... I'm just going to call it the Bemrose Corollary to Sturgeon's Law. I don't think I'm the first person, <laughs> but that's okay, because nobody's ever given me a... a any indication it's copyrighted that yes, 99% of everything is crap. But if you increase the total amount of everything by a thousand, then the total amount of that 1% that's really good is also increased by a thousand. And the people who are creating things without a care for copyright are creating good things at a much, much higher rate. And yeah, maybe you decide that only 0.0001% of content out there could possibly be better than the content that is fueled by copyright dollars. But okay, if if one in a million is your threshold and without copyright, a million times as many things are being created, you're still going to get something better. I mean, that's very debatable. I mean, just to finish with the Chris Christopherson thing, okay. in the interview, somebody asked him, and this was recently in the song 
Help Me Make It Through the Night was written, I think, back in the 60s or early 70s at some point. And the question posed to him was a philosophical one, which was, hey, what does Help Me Make It Through the Night mean to you today? And he looked at the guy and he said, about 100000 a year. Yeah. And that proves partially your point, which is this is a cash train that goes on nearly forever. It goes on for a nice long time. And maybe there needs to be a cap there. And I'm not sure that's five years because I've also worked with country artists. Uh, There was one lady named Carolyn Dawn Johnson who came out with a couple of albums. She's a Canadian country artist, recorded a couple albums here in the United States in Nashville, Tennessee. And the way the music world works, when you get a record deal, they give you an advance, you record your album, and if the album's good, you have to pay the advance back, which means even fairly successful artists are making next to zero money on that. So where they're making their money is, yeah. she was one of the rarities who wrote all, if most of her songs, if she didn't write all of them on the album. So she's created a revenue stream from those songs. And the fact that five years may not even be enough to make your money back because of the cost that the record labels, and I know that's kind of a different thing because, but there is a cost to entry and you could say, okay, everybody can get this over five years, but if the songs are good, you know, they're still going to be played on the radio. Other people want to do a cover song and you have to get paid for that because, you know, they're doing a cover song. And I don't know if, if five years is enough to say after five years, anybody that's a good singer can go take your songs and make a whole new album and you get nothing out of it. I think maybe there needs to be a step down approach which is, okay, maybe you have 100% copyright for the first five or 10 years, and that drops down a little bit as you go. Because I think that hard cutoff, I think it will hurt artists when you look at the fact that it's most of these people aren't, I wrote a song, I put it up on YouTube, everything was free, you know, besides me buying my microphone and my guitar. And there was really no cost behind it. When you're talking about somebody who actually is on a record label, big or small, There's a lot of costs involved. Even a small album is going to cost a quarter of a million bucks, which I know is nuts. That's that's ridiculous. There's no reason it should cost that much. Uh, There's well, the record labels will tell you it's marketing. There's there's no reason. Of course it is. And we've already established that marketing can all die in a fire. Um, And we can agree there. (laughs) But uh, okay, Uh, you, you shotgun me with a lot of points there. First of all, uh, any change when when you make the change, somebody is going to get hurt, which is what makes uh, knee jerk reporting to resist change is so easy to do because you go through and you sift through uh, a thousand people and you toss away the 900 that are benefited from it and you toss away the 99 that don't really care and you find the one person who was harmed by the change and then you write a half hour piece about him and you distribute it as a package to all of your sh- affiliates and now this change is terrible it's destroying lives there will be artists that don't make as much money if they don't have the copyright to enforce what they're doing the, most of those artists already have enough money and I don't have a lot of sympathy for them and some of them are struggling and I, I am sorry, but it's society does not owe you a successful business model. Ninety five percent of businesses fail within the first five years. This is a statistic that goes around Silicon Valley a lot. And the same thing applies to an artist who signs a really 
shitty contract with a record label that says, I will go ahead and make songs for free for you for five years. And the record label gets to keep all the money that the songs ever make. And the artist comes out of it at the end. And the record label's like, actually, you're not very good. Goodbye. Which happens all the time. And and remember that the the artists who become big enough to get stories about them in the entertainment magazines is the 0.01%. And even in the record label industry, 99% of the artists who ever sign with a record label never make any money. The record label uses them, squeezes them out, kicks them to the curb. And next thing you know, they're off working as a janitor. Well, not necessarily. I mean, sometimes they can still live outside of that. And you're a musical hero. Sounds to me like it should be Hank Williams III. There, there's, always, there's always the group of people, the three people who make it huge, and those are who you hear all the stories about. It's selection bias. But then there's all the people that the model didn't work for. The, they signed an agreement, and the agreement was bad, and they shouldn't have signed. Um, Which was Hank the Third. I, I am not going to throw out a good policy because there exist terrible business deals. If an artist signs something that says that they can't make any money in five years, they shouldn't have signed that. They should have gone with a different label. They should have gone independent. There's nothing about what the current business labels do that is set in stone. There's always other ways to do it. So you would like, you would, you would like Hank the third who signed with curb records. He's the grandson of Hank Williams senior signed with curb records. They put out a couple albums. They had a falling out to the point to where Hank the third told his fans not to buy the fucking albums to pirate them and just come to his shows and buy his t-shirts. Well, if, if, if he had made a good agreement, then he wouldn't have told, then he would own his own songs. Yes. I agree with that. And he wouldn't have told people to not buy them because he would have owned his own stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and I guess to be fair, the internet is helping artists in that way is that you can now get noticed before a record label gets to you. And even if you're somebody that, you know, they know is going to be big. So if you're going to be the next Taylor Swift, yes, you probably can't do that yourself. You're still going to need a company behind you, but you have a much better ability to get a better deal. You, you need something behind you, but it doesn't have to be one of this small selection of gatekeepers. That's the the most beautiful thing about the internet, the thing that it is accomplishing the most in terms of especially content creation, but it is there are no gatekeepers anymore. There don't there don't need to be. And it, it, we're we're podcasting and despite you know the fact that you submitted to iTunes and Google anyway, we don't need them. We have a website and an RSS feed and we can do this show just fine without signing a contract that gives 90% of our revenues for the first five years to a big company, which those revenues, by the way, when do I get my check again? That's it makes a uh, zero times. Uh, anyways, uh, anything but, multiplied by zero equals <laughs> zero. We're just lucky. They're not charging us yet. The internet is fantastic at tearing down the need for gatekeepers for decades. Uh, the only way to get a video of you in front of anybody else was to go through ABC, CBS, or NBC, period. You had to get selected and be on TV. Now we have YouTube. You can get a video of you in front of anybody. The internet has enabled that. For decades, the only way to record a song 
and have that song appear in front to have anybody be able to listen to that song short of a live performance is to sign with a big record label. And the internet is making it creative commons music. Rhino's show is making it. So people don't need to do that. There was uh, just a couple days ago, there was an album released by uh, one of my favorite creative commons artists named Kula. And he, this was his 13th full album that he's created and he has never signed on with a studio. He goes, he doesn't even release uh, with a restrictive license. His licenses are, are CC by, he wants attribution. That's it. And he operates on donations and he is making a living at it. He doesn't need a gatekeeper. Right. Which is a new world we're seeing with a lot of different things with the Patreons and a lot of people hate Patreon, but that concept, no agenda uses that value for value. Well, Pa- the part of the reason people hate Patreon is because it's it slid in and said gatekeepers are bad. Use us as a gatekeeper. Right. Well, you got to have a gatekeepers. You got to collect your money and and their system does provide some good things. I mean, I know there's bad things with all of these companies, but th- th- there is a change being made here. And I think that may be the biggest change we're going to see in our lifetimes when it comes to copyright is that they're becoming less necessary for a lot of things in order for the artist to make money. And that's a good thing. Gatekeepers are an inefficiency in a capitalistic system. And there's a lot of places where there's, there's always going to be a reason why you need a gatekeeper. Uh, you know, in, in content creation, you're trying to put your, your work in front of somebody and they have access to you and they have access to the person. They become the ones who can get your work in front of them. They're the gatekeeper in, uh, you know, the, just outside of my street, there was a utility truck went by and uh, I was thinking, you know, that's an FBI van. It, it probably they're, they're watching but, you. Uh, you know, why? Why do I pay Comcast to talk to you? Uh, well, <laughs> I it, don't know why anybody pays anybody I, they, to talk to well, me. I, I do because I don't have a personal line directly to you. Therefore, I pay a gatekeeper, a middleman to how much a cat, how much cat six cable do we need from the from Chicago the, to Seattle? I, right. you know, it shouldn't take much, but, <laughs> but if, if we did own a cat six line that ran from Chicago to Seattle and it worked, would we need to pay an ISP to do this podcast? No. And, and no. And that's the, the thing about gatekeepers is, and, and middlemen is that they, they may be a necessary evil, but capitalism views them as evil. They don't produce and they don't consume. And those are the only two actors that capitalism truly rewards. And so if they don't produce and they don't con- consume, they are an inefficiency in the system. And capitalism always seeks to reduce inefficiencies by having the most efficient process get the customers. So the most efficient process is now the internet. We don't need the big recording studios. We don't need the big movie studios anymore. You know, I, I, I was looking at what shows do I watch these days, which is not a whole lot, but more and more, the, the good television shows that I create are coming not out of Hollywood anymore. They're the Hollywood shows really don't have much of a place anymore. The entire town is too wrapped up in its own fame, but where are the good shows coming from? Well, Vancouver, Toronto, uh, Alabama, places that aren't Hollywood, because that's just People who want to make shows no longer put up with the Hollywood gatekeepers anymore. Right. Creativity is finding a way to make the, the, the art. 
But here's the thing about the gatekeepers. In the decades that they were the only way to get content, they made a lot of money. And now they have that money and they may be dying and they may be on their their deathbeds thrashing about, but they can do a lot of damage thrashing about. Uh, and one of the bits of damage they can do is passing bad laws. I think that that the kind of copyright extensions you're seeing from Disney is an example of that kind of bad law. Well, and beyond that, which the last topic we really need to cover in this show on copyright is the fact that your average person on a daily basis most likely is breaking copyright laws multiple times a day. Yeah, you you already hummed a few bars. We we got to be platform for that. Oh, I mean this I mean it's just it's nuts when you think about the fact that everything can be copyrighted. So you could just have a short quote that you it's copyrighted through Ryan Bemrose, and I decide I'm gonna take it and tweet it. I've broken a copyright law. Uh if I see a photograph that you took and posted, well, it can't be on Facebook. So say you shared a photo with me and I was like, hey, this is a really cool photo Ryan took. I'm gonna go put this up on my Facebook. I'm breaking copyright law. You know, I tweet it. I'm breaking copyright law. The worst part about this is, like I said, nothing is new. And somebody said something all the time is you don't even have to know that somebody else said it. If, if somebody else said it, they have a copyright on it. And if you repeat it, you are breaking the law and you don't even know. Which is insane. But for even the, for the people that do know, you see all of these memes they're always created with characters that you would recognize from a TV show or movie 90% of the time, because that's why they're creating the memes. Otherwise, if I took a picture of me and created a meme, people would be like, who the hell's that guy? Yeah. But so they knowingly do this and people will say this is fair use. But if you're creating a meme, say, with the characters from Minions, while they're still under copyright, is that really fair use? Because you're using somebody else's work. You know, are you changing it enough by putting a, you know, a little quirky saying with it? It's, it's either fair use or it's civil disobedience, and I approve of both. <laughs> well, any disobedience you prefer? Uh, well, I, no, not when it's challenging my authority. I mean, like we, your we cats. have to have limits. They're very disobedient. Yeah, one of them's sitting on me right now. Maliciously, I would add, because cats do everything maliciously. Well, that's, that's just in their nature. Just like in the Bemrose nature, it's always to be contrary. Uh, I, I did want to address... One other topic that you left out there, and and I, I probably shouldn't because we don't need to argue anymore. Oh, wait, yeah, we do. Oh, but that's the fun. Uh, you brought up the Christofferson example, and I, I'm I'm going to go ahead and give my most controversial opinion here. If you are creating wicker baskets, and you go out and you make a wicker basket, and it is an amazing basket. And you sell that basket and you make a thousand dollars because it's so good. And then you can decide that, you know, that was a really good basket. I'm going to sell it again. And you sell it again and you make another thousand dollars and you sell it again and you make another thousand dollars. And then 10 years later, somebody asks you, what's that wicker basket worth to you? And you say, oh, I don't know, about a hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, that doesn't freaking work with baskets. It doesn't work. No, with, it's a physical object, right? It, and it doesn't and work not with intellectual property, if, although the design of the basket could be intellectual property. If you're a janitor and you clean the nastiest bus station and you're like, that is clean, that is beautiful. 
you get paid, you get your hourly wage for that. Then the next day you can go up to your boss and say, Hey, you remember how I cleaned that yesterday? I think that I I did such a good job. You should just pay me again because it was so clean yesterday. Which is like a work for hire. And then a week later, if if I'm working for Bembrose Corp and I write a new beautiful VPN client, you own it. I don't. It's a work for hire doing. If you're a janitor, it's a work for hire. So so when you're the janitor and you go a year later and be like, you remember that time when I cleaned the bus station really well? Can you pay me again for that? He's going to be like, no, because it's fucking covered in vomit again. But it's gone. Where the music is still there, the book is still there. The only which is here's another one last weird little. Well, not really weird because this is happening right now. How do you feel about music songs that were written by somebody like Prince, who is now dead? Although I hear he has vaults at Paisley Park that are literally filled with thousands of hours of recorded, unreleased songs. (laughs) When does the copyright start on those? Is it when they're released? Because technically a copyright begins the minute that it's written. And say he's he has put all these through, which a good songwriter would probably do. You're going to register them, especially if you got billions of dollars like Prince did. You have the ability, every song you write, boom, copyright, send it in. None of them have been released. Say they're not released for five years. Are they now in the public domain, even though they've never been released and nobody's ever, you know, the artist or his family have never made a penny. And then if somebody is able to break in and steal these, technically they're in the public domain now. So you can make them. You know what? I don't have an answer to that, but I, I would, wait, I finally I got a listen. question that you don't have an answer to. I, 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 we need a, we need a sound drop like a woohoo, but I would listen to the podcast where that was discussed. It would be an interesting one. And that may be a really long, uh, a discussion. We need some music artists. We need some lawyers and all that. Cause that is an interesting question for me, knowing this has happened with a lot of artists. What happens to those vaults and when does copyright begin? When does it end? And uh, I, I, I'm actually, I, I'm not sure what it is, but I'm sure there is legal precedent that describes that very situation. Well, they're still releasing Elvis material for the love of Pete, although he may still be alive and it may be new. I'm not a lawyer, not because I would be incapable of understanding the law, but because I have so so little respect for it. I was going to say, I could just imagine <laughs> one half hour in your contempt of court and locked in a jail cell. Yeah. Hello, Barrister. That would happen. Barrister Bemrose. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why I made you British, but Barrister Bemrose sounded better than. Uh, yes. But that just works. So there, there, this is nothing that two idiots on a podcast are going to figure out. I think we actually delved into this quite well. Oh, yeah, we went we went pretty far into the weeds on this one. Made some interesting points which is what this show is supposed to be about. I mean, we didn't want to do things that were day-to-day news. I mean, I do a lot of that on random thoughts. There's a lot of shows that cover the daily news. I listen to plenty of shows that cover current events and address instant reactions to things that are being reported in the media. Uh, If you want something like that, you can go listen to Mark and George. You can go listen to No Agenda. You can go listen to, uh, no, don't listen to that one. But- (laughs) that's not what this show is about. This show is about two guys over coffee, Irish coffee, coffee, perhaps that would be better. Just shooting the shit and trying to make sense of these social issues. Yeah. Get into more of the minutia of things rather than everything that's news these days is hit with such a broad hammer. And even the things that I think deserve to have a much finer look into them are rarely covered. I mean, journalism is dead. 
There's nobody doing long investigative pieces on anything. We live in the meme world and we live in the Twitter world where if something takes more than a picture or something takes more than 140 to 280 characters, the attention span's just not there. So if you have a short attention span, this probably isn't the show for you either. But this is the kind of thing we're going to be going. So if anybody has any other ideas, if there's topics you've ever wanted to hear people really get into, feel free to uh, send us an email and we'll set up, uh, let's just say uh, info, I-N-F-O at grumpyoldbens.com. And we can we can definitely take suggestions. And if, as always, if you have praise for our show, you can go ahead and send those to me. And if you have hate, you can send that to Darren. Nobody knows where to find you. So no. it's much easier to send the hate. Yes. Well, and, and, and really, you, we're only going to get hate anyway, so it all works out. Right, it all comes to me anyway. You can follow me on Twitter at Darren O'Neill, D-A-R-R-E-N-O-N-E-I-L-L. And you can follow Ryan Bemrose on No Agenda Social, but you're going to have to know how to get there. Yeah, uh, you, you can email me at, uh, let's just call it Ryan at grumpyoldbens.com. That works. As long as we're creating email addresses out of thin air. Then I can be Darren at grumpyoldbens.com. It all works out. <laughs> Please send all the nice messages to me. We should we should probably set those up. Well, before we post the show anyway. We we don't want people okay. to get bounces. Do do we want to do we have a donation link set up? Do we want to give a plug for that? We don't have one set up, but I can definitely set one up. I do believe in the value for value model. So if you'd like to be a part of that, if you think the show's good enough to separate you from some of your money, go to grumpyoldbens.com. There'll probably be a link there by now. Well, from an undisclosed location on the left coast of the United States, I'm Ryan Bemrose. From just outside of Chirac, where there's a guy outside with a lawnmower, if you've been hearing that, I am Darren O'Neill. Later. Uh-huh.